Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the nine to five mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Creative Income. It's Lars Lindstrom. I'm happy to be here. I took the week off last week like a slacker. No, I think we were we were 22 episodes in and and uh, I was on a big travel job and I was just kind of tired and got close to, uh, you know, time to record the episode. And I was, I think, in uh, Tucson at the time. And I just thought, you know what? I'm really exhausted. I think I'm going to take this week off. So I promise I won't do that very often. But uh for last week, that's what I did. And I, that was my worry kind of going into the podcast. I wanted to make sure that, um, that because there are times, you know, where I am on film back to back to back or commercials and I'm out of town. And there are times when it's just really difficult to sit down and dedicate the time to, you know, make sure that uh, you're getting that, co- that weekly content. And that was my worry going into this was, is that going to be a problem uh, for my shoots, and and I don't want it to be. Obviously, my priority right now is to um, be on set, uh, to to be shooting, and I'm not going to let um, the podcast, as much as I enjoy it, and as much as you're enjoying it, uh, impede that um, in any way. Um, so I'm trying to figure out. You know, I'd lo- what I'd love to do is be able to build some sort of, you know, uh, retainer of interviews from different people, so that when I do get into these you know, positions where I am going to be shooting pretty much nonstop that I can just kind of roll one out that I've, that I've had in the archive for a little bit. So if you, if you know anybody, or if you yourself would like to be interviewed, just go ahead and reach out to me, um, at, uh, creative income podcast on, in, uh, on, uh, Instagram or on, on Facebook. I think the group is creative income podcast, uh, or creative income with Lars Lindstrom. I should probably know these things better and I promise I will try better in the future. Uh, I'm currently actually recording this episode. Speaking of um, not having any time, I'm on a, another job in San Diego. I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago. That's uh, I had a San Diego job, then I went to Tucson, then Massachusetts. Now I'm back in San Diego, so I had two days off at home, and I'm I'm back down here now for another uh, job. So um, I'm in my hotel room, and I'm I'm gonna. We just finished scouting our location, so I'm gonna go get dinner after this, and. Uh, talk about the shoot, but um, I said I need a couple minutes, 25 minutes, I gotta go do a solo episode, because um, I gotta roll it out tonight, and uh, for you guys, so here we are. Uh, there's a couple things I, I've been wanting to talk about, um, and we can just kind of start talking about it, I guess. I'm trying, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to mention about my jobs last week. Um, it was fun. I, I know that uh, some of you aren't cinematographers. Or filmmakers, and that's lovely. I'm I'm really happy you're here because I think there's a lot of value we can bring to the creative industry as a whole, not just filmmakers. Um, but uh, um, it was a commercial for a wellness resort, and we we had a couple different locations, and really really neat. The director I've worked with before in the past, but it's been years since I worked with him. But he hit me up for this last minute thing, and I I just feel like he really pushes me creatively. Um, years six years ago when I was just kind of starting out. We did this music video for a band called Above and Beyond, and um, and I you know would frame up a shot and he would go ah you know it's just it's it's not quite there it's not good enough, and it was kind of the beginning of of having a director really push me in a direction to try to be better, and and I loved it, and I was explaining to him on this job that you know I had teachers that, like there's a, there's this kid uh, not a kid anymore he's an incredibly talented cinematographer named Elias Talbot, 
And I don't know if he, he probably doesn't even remember this, but we were we were in college together. He shoots um, a lot with this guy named Colin. They he shot like the uh, Justin Bieber music videos and lots of incredible music videos. But um, we we were in college, and I had my reel finished at the end of the semester, and I showed it, and the teacher went, "Yeah, it's really nice, Lars." And all the kids in the class went, "Yeah, it was really nice, Lars. That was cool." And Elias said, "Lars, I got to be honest with you. It just." Uh, I know you can do better than that. And it was the single greatest thing that anybody could have said to me. And it was the thing that I, I wish that my teacher would have said. But what, what was cool was that he actually backed it up with, I really liked this shot for this reason. And these shots didn't do it for me and for these reasons. And so he, he knew why uh, he didn't like it. It wasn't just like criticism for criticism's sake, just to be, you know, kind of a, 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 you know, a, a mean person. Um, he actually knew what he was talking about and backed it up. And, uh, and it was, it was a great moment for me, actually. I, and it's, so I, that, that's why I bring up this director that I worked with this last week. Um, he does the same thing for me. You know, it's like, if I'll frame something up, if he doesn't like it, uh, he'll tell me and he'll tell me why. And as an artist, I, there's nothing better than criticism that means something that is backed up with something that says, you can do better, you can do better. And it really pushed me. Um, and so this, that's what this commercial was. We did, uh, ended up being four shooting days with a couple of extra days of B-roll. And um, I got more than 100 different shots, different setups, not to mention, you know, multiple takes um, for each location. So it was um, the, the uh, digital imaging technician, the DIT at the end of the shoot, did a string out on a PDF file of all the different... Um, setups we had and just blew my mind actually just kind of going through it It was like wow we did an enormous amount of shooting and uh and it all looks really cool um i don't know so for quick tech information not that anybody cares but uh it was fun for me so i'll tell you guys about it we shot on the alexa mini lf which is a large format uh camera which means that the sensor is a little bit bigger and the background kind of blurs a little bit more. So it's just, it's a look. Um, but I use some Ari Ultra Primes, which are not full frame lenses. Um, and I shot in a little bit of a crop mode. It was the 3.8K uh, 16.9 Ultra HD. Um, and these lenses on the edges, just, they had enough information. They, they weren't vignetting. Uh, but they just started to do some really interesting kind of almost blurry, fall off -y, things on the edge of the frame that I really liked. And uh, if, if you ever have a chance, if you ever want to see what Ultra Primes look like on that um, UHD image uh, on the uh, Alexa LF, let me know and we'll pull them up and we'll, we'll do some tests. But I, I uh, really enjoyed the experience. And Tucson was beautiful and it's unique, like it's going to kill you um, everywhere kind of way. And then Massachusetts, of course, at this time of year was unbelievable. Uh, and it was like, there was like warm rain every night. It was incredible. Just walking around was amazing. They had all these forests and stuff we were walking, walking through. And everyone kept saying, we we're, were up in uh, the Lenox area, and everyone kept saying, you know, James Taylor has a house down here. And that was like, that was what everybody wanted to tell me. So it was that kind of place. Just lovely. Um, anyway, uh, let's let's jump into to some of the things this week. I um, oftentimes talk about um, with, with some of my friends living below your means. And this is going to mean different things for different people. There's, there's things that uh, people want in life. And one of the things that I've always wanted um, for the, as long as I can remember was a house. I wanted to own a home, something that I, I could, felt like I could tear up the floors if I wanted to and replace them with something or just, just to say this is something that, that I own. I, I own the space and there is 
immense pride for me in owning a home. Um, I live in Los Angeles, and it's hard to do. It's been hard to do for a long time. It's even harder now. I mean, this, I'm recording this in 2021, and the real estate uh, market is crazier than it has ever been, and it just seems so insane, and that there's nowhere to go but down. It's kind of what it feels like. So a lot of people feel like they can't. There's, it's not attainable. But for me, five or six years ago when we bought our first house, that was um, that's all I wanted. And it seemed crazy at the time, the real estate prices in Los Angeles. I remember, you know, it was like you can't find anything for less than 700 Now it's you can't find anything for less than a million, it feels like. But um, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. So six years ago when I was looking at houses, um, we got pre-approved. For some, somewhere around, it was like $650,000 or something like that, maybe a little bit more. And um, for a 30-year mortgage, and you could at that time, you could buy a house in probably a nice place, part of town, um, for six hundred fifty grand. And it seemed like not a terrible option, but it was a 30-year mortgage. And for me, I knew a $650,000 house wouldn't be a forever home that I'd want to raise a family in because school districts are very important to me. I I am one of those people that doesn't necessarily want to take my kids to a private school. I, I believe in the public school system and I, I want them to have that experience. For me, uh, high school and, and middle school and elementary school aren't about being the smartest student. It really is about social interaction and, and uh, exposure to as many uh, different types of cultures as you possibly can get your hands on. And um, so that, you know, that was something I, I knew I wanted to send my kids to a public school, um, that private school wasn't really in the cards or an option for me. Um, and I wanted it to be a decent public school. Uh, I didn't want it to be, you know, ones and twos. I wanted it to be seven, eights, nines, tens. Um, so I didn't have kids. And my wife and I were looking at houses at that 650 range, 550 range, and, and at that 30-year mortgage. And I just kind of started doing the numbers. And I realized that it didn't make sense for me to buy a home that I knew wasn't my forever home with a 30-year mortgage because I would never, ever be able to put enough money uh, down on that house to make my money back when I sold it, when I, which I inevitably would have once I started having kids and started thinking about schools. Um, let me explain that a little bit. So a 30, the difference between a 15-year and a 30-year mortgage is in terms of the amount of interest you pay incredibly significant, right? So a 30-year mortgage on a $500,000 house, you'll probably end up paying, oh, you know what? Just give me a couple seconds here. I'm actually gonna pull it up. So if you bought a house for $500,000 with a 3.2% interest rate, that's uh, 30 years. This is probably in one year out the other kind of information, but just to bear with me, is the interest you'd pay over 30 years um, if you put 20% down is $222,000. So. Uh, $222,000 for 30 year. Um, if you did a 15 year, not only um, does that go down significantly, but so does your interest rate. I don't know if you knew that, but um, let's say 2.875. Um, actually, it's going to be lower than that. It's probably 2.5 right now. Uh, over 15 years, the amount of interest you'll pay is $80,000. So you went from 222000 to 80000 And not only that, but the amount of principal, so the amount of money that is going into the home that you get to keep is way more than double that of a 30 year. So uh, let's say you're only planning on being there for five years, you will have probably three or four times the amount of principal, actual money that you own in that house 
that you'll be able to keep. Um, so what does that mean? It means that if you do a 30-year, uh, you really won't own any of the house when you go to sell it in five or six or seven years. Um, after your 6% realtor fees and closing costs and all that junk. Uh, it's expensive. It's incredibly expensive. And, and there's unfortunately not like a flat fee, it's a percentage. So if you're not planning on, on building equity in that home on that 30-year, if you're not planning on being there for at least 20 years, there's, there's really no point in doing a 30-year. Um, but then your next question is, well, Lars, I, I can't hardly even own a home with a 30-year mortgage. How are you expecting me to own it with a 15-year mortgage? It's impossible. The answer kind of sucks. Here's the answer. The answer is you got to live below your means. And that's what my wife and I did on our first home. So I'll just kind of take you down this journey. We decided that because we weren't ready to buy a forever home, uh, that we would figure out a way to do a 15-year mortgage, um, which meant it was more expensive, which meant we could only afford between three fifty and 400000 we decided, right? That was kind of the m- number we were looking for. Well, the only houses we could find in Los Angeles County for that price range were way, way east out in a really bad part of town, uh, or really, uh, let's say, not the best part of town called Pomona. Now, some of you probably heard of Pomona. That's where the Los Angeles Fairplex is. Uh, We absolutely adored our house. We bought a 100-year-old craftsman in a beautiful little historic district with a park just within walking distance. And we lived there for five and a half years. And everything about that house I loved. I loved the yard. I loved the house. We did a lot of improvements on it. Uh, Our neighbors were second to none. I mean, truly incredible people. People I could, I could basically just walk into their backyards and be like, Hey man, can I borrow a cup of sugar? Well, I mean, it was just like that kind of like suburbia, you know, just, just incredible neighbors, amazing neighborhood, wonderful people. Um, but Pomona as a whole was pretty crime ridden. I mean, there were, you know, my wife and I liked to play the game, you know, we're laying in bed and you hear those little pops and you go, was that a gunshot or a firework? And it was like a game, you know, it was scary every time, but, uh, it's like it happened. It was most of the time fireworks. I'm convincing myself and her. Um, But, you know, sometimes I wasn't sure. And there was uh, violent crime. We, um, you know, there was a kid up the street, 16 years old, gang violence. They drove by and shot and killed him. It was like less than a half a mile away from my house. And not ideal, especially when I started having kids. Um, But here's the reality. The reality is I did a 15-year mortgage on this house. Uh, and in the five and a half, six years we lived there, the amount of equity that we were able to build on this place, not to mention the, the, you know, the amount that the value of home went up because we were doing improvements and the real estate market was insane. Um, if I had done a 30 year, I probably would not have been in the, uh, cash, cash position that I was in to buy my current house that we put a significant down payment on to continue doing that 15 year mortgage in a nice school district in a nice house. Um, so we bought the house for $390,000, uh, that was in 2015 or 16. Yeah. Something like that. And then, um, we sold the house, uh, just last year for $630,000. And beyond that though, we did a 20% down payment 
Um, so that was $78,000 down. And that's the hard part. And there's no way around it. And I understand that I came from an incredible position of privilege. And and I understand that a lot of people listening to the podcast just aren't there. But I understand. But I understand that this, is, this was something that was incredibly important to me. So my wife and I, she was working at the time. Uh, together, we saved as much as we could. Uh, she took those uh, overtime shifts and and I, you know, put off buying extra pieces of equipment and put it towards the house. And um, uh, we were able to get that $78,000 together and make that 20% down payment and get in that house. Um, and every time I'd go to set in Burbank or Santa Monica, God forbid, um, people on set, you know, would talk about, oh, it took me forever to get here. It's 30 minutes just to drive, you know, 10 miles or whatever, eight miles. Um the reality was I was getting up two hours before them to make the commute. And when they would find out, they'd go, why on earth are you living in Pomona? You're doing well, right? Like, what, what are you doing in Pomona? And the answer was always, I'm living below my means. I have to because I'm building equity. I knew that I wasn't going to live in Pomona forever. I, it wasn't the dream house. I mean, I, it was lovely. It was this beautiful craftsman. But that wasn't the goal of my wife and I. The goal was to build equity as fast as possible with a 15-year mortgage uh, and then eventually have enough of a cash asset to put that towards a house. And we did. I think we only owed $190,000 on that house. So in five years, we went from three ninety dollars down to $190,000. Um, and then sold it for 630. So you do the math, you subtract the 6% realtor fees and closing costs. And that was that was our cash position to then uh, you know put a down payment, hefty down payment for our next house and continue that 15 year. Um, so so yeah, so if that's if that's something that's a goal of yours, I'd love to buy a house in a in a nice part of town or Los Angeles or New York or wherever you are. Washington State, you know, it's the reality is you're going to have to make some sacrifices. And that may look like going out of town 25, 35 miles and buying a house in the suburbs that's maybe in the not nice part of town um, so that you can then build that equity faster. Uh, and maybe you do a 15-year mortgage. Uh, I would highly suggest it. Um, and if you can't, then, then I don't know. I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Go a little bit further out of town, drive a little bit further. You're going to have to make some sacrifices in those early years to try and figure out if that's something that you really want to be able to do. Um, well, that's that. Yeah, so now we're in a nice house. We're in a nice house. Um, we continued the 15-year mortgage. Uh, we're in a beautiful school district. Speaking of school districts, the backyard is our elementary school, and we have a gate that leads that opens up right to the elementary school. So at no point will my daughters ever be um, not on my property or school property. And they just open the gate and they're there for the first five years of their school anyway, six years actually with kindergarten. So, um, so I don't know what that means. And I, and I do realize that this is coming from a place of privilege. And I will say though, that if it is something that you truly want, it's truly you desire it, then you'll figure out a way to do it. If you know, if you've been listening to the podcast, you understand what assets are now. Um, find out what your assets are in your industry that people aren't taking advantage of and, and start 
making those purchases now so that they can start generating income for you when you are not available for work or you're, you know, you want to take some time off or you want to double up, you know? So if you're now using your labor and someone's paying you for labor, but then also your assets are creating uh, income, your investments are generating income, then you can start to, you know, uh, make money faster and, and kind of double down a little bit. So good luck. Um, I know it's a tough time with the real estate market. Um, but, uh, I know you can do it and you just got to look at your situation and understand that right now, maybe living below your means is, is maybe the best option for you and drive out of town, make that commute, make that sacrifice for a few years. And eventually you'll come around. All right. Well, how are we doing? Is there anything else I want to talk about? Oh yeah, there is. Uh, there's one thing. Um, I'm rereading the book. Actually, I just finished it. Um, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Um, this is a must read probably once a year. And I and I cannot tell you how incredible. Basically, the premise is in, put yourself in other people's shoes a lot more often, right? So um, you, if you've got a conflict at work and you're trying to get someone to do something for you, the worst thing you can do is is approach them aggressively like a know-it-all and say, hey, really, you just got to get this done. You know, you, you really dropped the ball on that last project and, I, and, and that made me look bad. It made the company look bad. Make them feel bad, you know, and talk about you. And that's the worst thing you could possibly do. Um, and I and I actually did. I was right as I was reading this book, I was trying to ship some batteries out, some camera batteries for this, this job I did uh, in Tucson and, and Massachusetts last week. And I went to two separate FedEx locations. And first location said, oh, we can't ship those from here. You have to go to this other place. I guess, you know, island lithium and airplanes and stuff, they get a little bit freaked out. I've done it before. And so I came from like a know-it-all approach a little bit. I was like, I've done this before. Trust me, that's not right or whatever. And it was just a terrible approach. So the second, I went to the second place and to my credit, I walked in and nobody was behind the counter and I waited literally 20 minutes and nobody came out the door. So I was already a little bit frustrated. I'm trying to get these batteries shipped out. I was flying out the next day. So it was kind of important. And um, uh, finally, someone some comes in and I say, I was sent here. I need to ship these batteries. And they gave me some story about, oh, you have to do that online. And and I kind of snapped and I, and I was a little bit snippy with this person. And I said, you know, I don't know. Uh, that's I've, this is the second FedEx location. I waited 20 minutes, and yes, you can. And you're telling me there's nothing you can do, and of, no, there's nothing I can do. And of course, there wasn't. Why would she help me? I was being mean and kind of a know-it-all. And so I got in the car, and I was really frustrated. And I started driving home, and I was. And this book came on the the radio in my car. You know, I had it playing on Bluetooth, and and. And there wasn't anything in particular that uh, I was listening to that made me kind of come to a realization that I was coming about it all wrong. But it was like this book was just there playing. And I thought, I have been going about this all wrong. So I looked up another FedEx location. I called. And I completely took a different approach. And I just said, you know, hi, can I help you? Yes. You know, I'm trying to ship these batteries out. Um, I'm a filmmaker. Shipping is not my level of expertise. I I wish I knew more about it. There's a lot that I don't know. Uh, could you tell me the process of shipping these batteries? Is there something that that you could tell me? And I and I completely approached this guy with a different attitude of please instruct me on what you you're so knowledgeable in this in this field and what can I learn from you? And and by the end of the conversation, he said, "Come in. 
I'll have some labels printed for you and we'll get those batteries out. And I walked in and they had a box ready for me um, with, and he had found some, so you have to, you have to print some like, you know, danger batteries in the box labels that he found online. It wasn't even like a FedEx label. They didn't have these in house. I had to do this at home and I didn't know and I didn't do it. So he had them printed out and, and taped on the box for me, ready to go. I come in with the batteries and he so graciously said, in the future, just so you know, with batteries, you should have them pre-wrapped, pre-packaged, but don't worry. You didn't know that. I'll do it for you. Don't worry. And I gave him the batteries. He packed them up for me uh, as, as they're, you know, per spec and sent them on our shoot. And we had them for the shoot. And it was like a night and day experience of, of how you treat people and what you can expect from them. So read the book. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And read it once a year. It's, it's been a couple years since I've read it. And so I reread it this week. And it's just, I think it's, I'm really loving the principles and I'm relearning again. And I'll try to be more patient with people. I'll try to be nicer and more understanding. And just understand that everybody's going through things that we don't see all the time. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's our responsibility to just be a little bit nicer. Slow things down and just understand that people are going through something right now. So anyway, guys, that's all I got for this week. I, I really appreciate uh, everything and, and uh, all the little listens and the shares and the positive thumbs up that I'm getting. And, We'll, we'll catch you next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks.